minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Uh, what is it, sir? Why are you crying? In a minute, mister. <laughs> Double bumble, am I in trouble? Uh, why are you carrying on like this, sir? Why am I carrying on like this? My wife and I got into such a fight. She got so angry with me that she said she's not talking to me for 30 days. I double double who needs this trouble. Your wife is not talking to you for 30 days. You should be happy. You don't understand. Today is the last day. <laughs> double double J.M. in the A.M. Must be the month of Adar. If you hear a uh, selection like that, that's for sure. J.M. the A.M. Thursday on this Feb. Could you believe a week from today will be Purim? A week from today will be Purim. Today is Zion Adar. It's the 22nd of February, day 7, as we said. Zion Adar, day 7 in the month of Adar. The year 5778. Uh, We're Coming Home is the name of the album. It shall shell us both Kimitzion and Sim Shalom. Shlomo Simchad Motzi Asirim. The Heshiv done by Simcha Liner, Chaim David Burson with Geula Rock. Gedole Torah, brand new from Micha Gammerman and Regesh. Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Thursday. Today, a little different than yesterday in the New York area. 48 degrees, some rain and a high only of 48. Cloudy tonight, low 36. Tomorrow, rain and a high of 44. 58 in Yerushalayim, 48 here now in New York City. As we say good morning on a Thursday at JM in the AM. Tonight, Yeshiva University, the Maccabees. They go to the second round of the playoffs in the Skyline Conference. If they win two more games, they make the uh, the Division Three nationwide tournament. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Tonight is the game against Farmingdale, the number one team in Farmingdale. Wishing good luck to the YU Max and getting ready for tonight, 7 p.m. when they tip off. Going to be amazing. By the way, not that many comments this morning on the app. Some mornings a lot, some mornings not so many. But one that we got just before 6 a.m., Good morning, Nahum. We're from Manchester, UK, but listening live, dozing on the balcony in Sunny A Lot. Thanks for the great music. Well, I thank you. Sunny A Lot is one of my favorite places on planet Earth, and I am jealous that you're in Sunny A Lot right now, lounging away and dozing away. I thank you very much for tuning us in and for being part of this amazing and incredible listening experience 632 28 minutes before seven o'clock plenty more coming up at shlomo cats at jm in the am
office boy and climbed up the corporate ladder. He made a buck, a bit of luck, everything fit in a pattern. The wife and kids, the house they lived, they were so proud he'd arranged it. He said his goal, he's in control, but he'd forgotten the main thing. Yes, he'd forgotten the main thing. strange the world seemed changed he suddenly couldn't control it and now he knew he'd missed the clue he had to think back and retrieve it search and find the peace of mind that comes to a heart that's believing that comes to a heart that's believing
J.M. in the A.M. Boy, are we specialists at playing great music early in the morning, huh? Ellie Marcus, David Amelech, Hashem Melech, done by Mordechai Shapiro. Yaakov Shweki in there with Moa Hafti. You heard, uh, you heard Anila Dodi, that was Eitan Katz. Eitan Freilich with Am Yisrael Chai. Shlomo Katz in there with Yismach Melech. It is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Galit Sal in the background to our news from Israel coming up by Joseph Karasik in hour number three this morning. The book is called 13 Steps, Orthodox Judaism in America Comes of Age, My Life and Times. Rabbi Karasik joins us. 8 o'clock hour this morning. Gali Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. Newscast is next to J.M.M.
הוועדה לבחירת שופטים שמכונסת בשעה זו מינתה את עורכת הדין חבי טוקר לשופטת בית משפט השלום בירושלים. טוקר היא כלתו של ראש ישיבת חברון, הרב נחמן טוקר, זכרונו לברכה. בהמשך היום תמנה הוועדה שני שופטים חדשים לבית המשפט העליון. בבית המשפט מתקיים בשעה זו דיון בהארכת מעצרו של ניר חפץ, יועצו לשעבר של ראש הממשלה נתניהו. המשטרה טוענת כי הוא לא משתף פעולה בחקירתו במסגרת החשדות נגדו בתיק 1270, הנוגע למינוי היועץ המשפטי לממשלה. החוקרים יבקשו להאריך את מעצרו גם בתיק הזה, ומאוחר יותר הוא יובא להארכת מעצר. גם בתיק 4000. כתבתנו עדה שטייף מציינת שבשעה זו מתקיים גם דיון בהארכת מעצרו של בעל השליטה בבזק שאול אלוביץ' ומעצרם של אשתו ובנו. מחבל חמוש במות ברזל ובסכין תקף הלילה חיילים ביריחו ונורה. בהמשך הוא מת מפצעיו. הפלסטינים טוענים שהוא הוכה לאחר נטרולו. כתבתנו כרמל דנגור. מצה"ל נמסר כי במהלך מעצר מבוקשים ביריחו ניסה מחבל חמוש במוט ברזל לתקוף את הלוחמים. הכוח הגיב בעירי והתעמת איתו, לאחר מכן פונה המחבל לקבלת טיפול רפואי ושם נקבע מותו. עוד נמסר כי האירוע עדיין בבדיקה. הפלסטינים טוענים לשימוש מופרז בכוח מצד החיילים ואומרים כי החשוד הוכה שלא לצורך במהלך מעצרו. השרה לשעבר לימור לבנת מהליכוד אומרת בגלי צה"ל, נחצו כאן קווים אדומים, נתניהו צריך לעזוב. היא שוחחה עם יועז הנדל וניצן הורוביץ. אני חשה חושי מאוד גדול וגם עצב מאוד מאוד גדול. ראש הממשלה צריך לזוז הצידה ולפנות את מקומו. מה שכרגע מתברר וקורה לא יכול לאפשר לו להמשיך בכהונה שלו. ברהט נפצע בינוני נער בן 13 לאחר שנפל מגובה חמישה מטרים. כתבנו רמי שני מעדכן שהוא פונה למרכז הרפואי סורוקה בבאר שבע עם פגיעת ראש. כשבע מאות נתינים זרים מפגינים כעת מול כלא סהרונים בדרום, ממחאה על כליאת נתינים שסירבו לעזוב את הארץ. כתבנו ניר שוויד שמע את אחד המפגינים, עבדול מונים. אמרו לי שאני צריך להישאר בכלא שלוש שנים ולאחר מכן יגרשו אותי בחזרה לסודן שזה אומר שמגרשים אותי למוות, שמגרשים אותי למקום שברחתי ממנו שמגרשים אותי למקום שאני לא אשאר בחיים יותר אבל זה לא קרה בכיר איראני מזהיר, אם נראה שהסכם הגרעין לא מסייע לנו כלכלית, נפרוש ממנו כתבנו יותם לחובסקי סגן שר החוץ של איראן אמר בביקור בלונדון כי ארצו אינה מעוניינת בפיתוח נשק גרעיני, גם אחרי שהסכם הגרעין יפוג. הבכיר הבהיר שאם האמריקנים לא יבטלו את העיצומים הכלכליים על איראן, ההסכם לא ישרוד לדבריו. נשיא ארצות הברית טראמפ הודיע שאיפה לפרוש מההסכם אם האירופים לא יסכימו לתקן אותו עד אמצע מאי. ומזג האוויר מעונן חלקית, בלילה יחזור הגשם וירד מקומית, בעיקר בדרום. אלה החדשות שעורך אריאל זיגלר.
share a thought of wisdom, writer, something from this market, something that I never did. Well, towns and trains I've come to cross, just know the wrong, not worth the cost. When placed next to our Torah, true, the mitzvahs that we love and do, acts of goodness and Shed on the way, you may tell me how I owe my 
just heard how terrible 27 years you and Sam were partners partners brothers and after all that time you split what happened no choice there was no way out it was kismet <laughs> tell me something would you stay partners with a man who stole from petty cash took postage stamps home for poisonous mail gambled corporation funds at the racetrack and to top it off took cash from the company safe would you want a partnership with such a man? Never. Well, neither did he. <laughs> Jam in the AM. Must be the month of Adar. Thursday morning on the Zion Adar. 48 degrees, rain, and a high of 47 here in the New York area. 13 steps. Orthodox Judaism in America comes of age. My Life and Times by Joseph Karasik is the author. He joins us live via telephone in the 8 o'clock hour. Also, I am told that tonight, being such a big night in Yeshiva University basketball history, that the coach of YU basketball, Elliot Steinmetz himself, is going to join us here at JM in the AM in the final hour this morning. Very much looking forward to that, to say the least. Very much looking forward to that. So earlier I mentioned that uh, listener Jeremy 
visiting uh, a lot from Manchester, was tuned in to JM and the AM, so it led to a discussion on our app. One of our listeners says a lot was listening to you in a rainforest of Puerto Rico last year, every day in the mikvah, now piping you in. <laughs> Not everyone likes that, though. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what else? Nachum, welcome back. Can you play some Avram Freed? Try to do some Avram What else do we have? Oh, listener Alyssa says, excited to hear Grandpa at 8 o'clock. I am excited, Alyssa. No joke. Reading your grandpa's book uh, brought back a lot of childhood memories for me, uh, being uh, the son of a legendary rabbi from that e- from that era. Um, listener Devora says, I'm on vacation. I'd like to sleep late, but then I'll miss JM and the AM, so I'm up early. Thank you, Devora. We have a Barry Weber uh, request, and I thank everybody who's been checking in on our app this morning. During JM and the AM. 14 minutes after 7 o'clock. More coming up at JM and the AM. אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עוד שנה? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. אני... Ich lach 
יודע שיש אלוקים והוא בורא עולם, הכוח של כולם שומע את קולי.
pardon me, mister. Can you spare a dollar for a cup of coffee? I beg your pardon, a dollar for a cup of coffee? For you, a special. <laughs> 98 cents. Uh, don't be ridiculous. A cup of coffee doesn't cost a dollar. You can buy a cup of coffee for a dime. I have the nerve asking for a dollar for a cup of coffee. Uh, just a second, mister. Give me a dollar, a quarter, a dime, or nothing. But don't tell me how to run my business. <laughs> J.M. and the A.M., <clears throat> our Oddar Comedy segments. Coming up at 9 o'clock this morning, right after J.M. and the A.M., it's uh, Unlocking Greatness with Charlie Harari. He'll be uh, doing his show until 9.30. Spin Class follows with Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeld of the latest political news. Jew in the City Speaks, it's Allison Josephs at uh, 10.30. That's Life with Miriam L. Wallach with David Goldstein, author of Ali Oop to Aliyah, African-American Hoopsters in the Holy Land. 11 a.m. for a live lunch. I think it'll be a lot different than last week's live lunch, frankly. <laughs> Malcolm Honline tomorrow from Jerusalem. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He is live from Jerusalem tomorrow oh by the way a couple of um uh, additions to our announcements regarding the rest of the day today on thursday uh charlie harari's topic at 9 a.m the lost art of communication how slowing down and listening can help better our relationships in life and jew in the city speaks at 10 o'clock it'll be the uh, allison conversation with judy gruen author of the skeptic and the rabbis that's all coming up part of our lineup on a thursday don't forget tonight Mark Zamek, he's got the uh, amazing Erev Shabbos show starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Uh, we are getting amazing ratings for that show for good reason. A lot of people love preparing for Shabbos on a Thursday night, tuned into the Erev Shabbos show. Again, big thanks to our friends at Kedem, and a big thank you to Mark Zamek, who uh, takes care of that broadcast each and every week. Cool Mom says, we're excited for the house to come down and for JM&AM to be in Jerusalem, Habdunya. Thank you for that. Devorah says, Nachum, last week at Talent Night, some ladies of Yad Binyamin performed to Lipa Schmelzer's Mizrach Marov, combining two things I know you love, women's basketball and the theme of Kibbutz Galyot. Hmm. I also performed stand-up addressing some funny mistakes Olim make when first in- encountering spoken Hebrew. Chodesh Adar Tov, and today's Moshe Rabbeinu's birth date and yard site. Yes, today is Zion Adar. Have I ever said that I'm a big uh, women's basketball fan? I don't know. Maybe I have. Not sure. I'm a big men's basketball fan tonight. The Yeshiva University Maccabees in round two of the Skyline Conference playoffs. And boy, oh boy, are we excited about it. We get to speak to Coach Elliot Steinmetz coming up uh, about an hour from now right here at JM in the AM. Anima, 
שלפעמים הדרך לא קלה, אני ממשיך גם אם כואב ויש בי אמונה. What could I do for you? This is going to sound just utterly ridiculous to you, but I'm moving, you see? And in an old coat in a trunk, I found this shoe repair ticket that must be seven or eight years old. It's for some shoes I brought in before I went into the Navy, and then I moved away from Brooklyn, and now I found this old ticket. And I know it sounds ridiculous that you would have the shoes after seven years, but I took a chance. Oh, I get it. You're that fellow from Candid Camera. <laughs> No, 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 sir. Honestly, look, look, here's the ticket. Let me see it. Are you out of your mind? We haven't even used the numbers in years. Next! No, please, sir. No, no, it was a long trip here from Baltimore. I know it's ridiculous, but please, take a look in the back. All right, all right. I'll look. I'll be right back. This is very embarrassing. But after all, they don't make shoes like they used to. 
How can I be foolish enough to think that after seven years that they would still... Hey, mister from Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> yes? You're not gonna believe it. You mean you found my shoes? Was it with half-soles, leather heels, <laughs> and metal tips? Yes, yes, that's right. It'll be ready Tuesday. <laughs> J.M. in the A.M. <laughs> Happy Yadar, everybody. Oh, yes, it'll be ready Tuesday. Uh, Sandy Shmueli before that with Anishar on a J.M. in the A.M. Thursday morning. Reminder, Malcolm Honeline tomorrow from Jerusalem. In fact, I've been, giving it, I've been given advanced warning that it is very possible he'll be a drop later than usual. We usually call it for 740. I think tomorrow we'll call it for 750 as he's on an extremely tight schedule, but he is scheduled to join us tomorrow morning from Jerusalem. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, scheduled to join us tomorrow morning at JM in the AM. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmaser of Zebin Yosef and Zechonishmas Esther Basar Yosef Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. Our Chachomim say that Olam Hazer, this world, is the Alma de Chakra. It is the world of falsehood. And Olam Abba, the next world, is the Olam HaEmes, the world of truth. We can understand how important it is always to say the truth. We are told in Ksubas that when Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi was lying on his deathbed, the Malach HaMoves, the angel came to take him. And that Malach, have been instructed by the heavenly court, do for that tzaddik whatever he wishes. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said to the Malach, he said to the angel, take me to the Garden of Eden, take me to Gan Eden, and show me my place there. The Malach had no choice. He said, fine. The Malach then lifted Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi up above the wall, and he showed him his place in Gan Eden. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi jumped from the wall and fell to the other side. However, the Malach held on to the corner of his cloak because it was not his time yet to go. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, I take an oath, I make a shvua, that I will not come back. There was a dilemma. The Malach wanted to bring Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi back. However, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi had already invoked an oath. He made a shvua. Hashem then resolved the dilemma. Hashem said, if Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi had ever taken an oath, and that oath was annulled in his lifetime, he has to return to earth. If not, he's allowed to stay right where he's at. He would be permitted to remain in Gan Eden. It was found that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi had always kept his word. He always fulfilled his promises. At that moment, Elio Novi announced, Clear a place for the son of Levi. Clear a place for the son of Levi. This is how the Koshans of Magid explains, Whoever has never desecrated his word and has never looked to be released from his promise, then according to all that comes from his mouth, shall he do. From heaven, they will do everything that the person requests. We see from this moving incident, 
concerning the great Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, how important it is to keep one's word. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. May I have your attention, please? This is the last will and testament of our dear friend and relative Samuel B. Cohen. I, Samuel Benjamin Cohen, being of sound mind and body, do hereby declare this to be my last will and testament. Number one, to my son, my beautiful boy Sheldon, (laughs) my firstborn who made me proud of him all my life, a fine son, a good husband, a wonderful father, and the best dentist in the United States. (laughs) To my son Sheldon, I bequeath tax-free one million dollars. Wonderful. Isn't that magnificent? Good luck, Sheldon. Number two, to my beautiful daughter Jane, with a Y, To that lovely child who always got high marks and helped her mother with the dishes when we couldn't afford a maid, who got a scholarship to Hunter College, who for a long time has been a little too particular or she'd be married already. (laughs) To my lovely daughter Jane with a Y, tax-free $1 million. Such a generous man. Isn't that beautiful? Mazel tov. <laughs> Number three, to my beautiful wife Miriam, friend, companion, love of my life, to the lovely Miriam I give with pleasure everything that's not in her name already. <laughs> the white Chrysler Imperial with the white sidewalls. And the prince's telephone, the Picasso from the back of the store, my Arnold Palmer golf clubs with a new leather bag, and tax-free $2 million in cash. Enjoy, sweetheart, enjoy. What a marvelous husband. An angel, not a man, an angel. The Picasso from back of the store and everything. Number four, to my brother-in-law, Louis, who lived with us all of his life, who never had to do a day's work, who knew how to handicap the ponies better than anybody, who only smoked the finest cigars, mine. To my brother-in-law, Louis, who all his life said I would never remember him in my will. Hello, Louis. J.M. and the A.M. Thursday morning, month of Adar. That's what you're going to get, some great comedy segments, some real classics. Mark Zomik is with us live via telephone. Mark most proudly wears the uh, title of uh, music director at the Nahum Siegel Network, but he is also he is also co-president of TABC, a school, a yeshiva that is very dear to our hearts, the Torah Academy of Bergen County. Next week... They hold their annual dinner. Mark Zamek 
who I just informed minutes ago that this segment was programmed with him in mind. Welcome back to JM and the AM. Good morning, Nachum. How are you? This was programmed with you in mind. I, it's it's definitely one of my favorites. It's like <laughs> and, and it's like uh, layers on top of layers, and it's and it's one of those that's like almost in your head all the time. Meaning that anytime I'm ever introduced to somebody named Jane, <laughs> the first thing that comes into my head is with a Y. <laughs> And of course, at your family gatherings. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> there will be times when someone will say, "Right, hello, Louis." Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, so that was for you, and now you have information for us this coming uh, uh, Monday night. This coming Monday night, the twenty sixth of February, a congregation kept their Torah in Teaneck, New Jersey. That's where all of us get to celebrate the TABC experience. And you have told me off the air. That, that an organization can run a successful dinner without designated honorees. And it seems from the response that the TABC is set to run a very successful dinner this coming Monday night. It is our hope. Our goal this year is to really, to, to, uh, you know, to do two things, is to celebrate TABC and TABC's accomplishments. We're going to, you know, articulate that through a number of very um, interesting and innovative videos that we put together um, as, par- as, as part of our program. And but also, you know, we made a really, I want to say, a big decision this year as a, a fundraising team is to focus all the money that we raise um, to be targeted towards tuition assistance. You know, as all the ads said, and sort of not unsurprising, we spend over a million dollars every single year in um, helping families who could otherwise not afford a TABC education or, quite frankly, any Jewish education, helping those families um, uh allowing those families the accessibility of the great TABC experience. Uh, according to the website, yeah, that figure is $1.3 million that TABC has awarded in scholarship assistance just in one year, and that's pretty remarkable. Um, we've uh, spoken about uh, Bruce Ritholtz of Blessed Memory. The scholarship fund is named for him. Uh, the website, tabc.org slash scholarship fund, gives everyone an opportunity to donate directly to that fund. Everybody out there who wants information about Monday night, the dinner, it's tabc.org slash dinner, tabc.org slash dinner. And one of the things you just said, which a lot of people may not believe, but you know it's true, uh, that there are literally people, families in our community who would decide, uh, who, would, who would make a decision other than Yeshiva High School, if not for the tuition assistance. It is so. It is such a difficult, uh, it is such a difficult financial burden for people to handle that they literally would look at a lot of different options and most of them, if not all of them, worse options than a yeshiva high school. So, I mean, we, and we, by the way, even among yeshiva high schools, there's, you know, there's going to be always some disparity in the services and then, you know, the, the, the cost for yeshiva high schools. And there are people who feel, well, I can afford this one or I can afford that one, or, you know, we're, we're going through the right now, you're lucky you uh, have a, a couple of years off from this, the uh, admission season that we're in the, the thick of right now. There are parents who say, well, for a couple thousand dollars here, a couple thousand dollars there, that's going to change my choice, right. which is, you know, um, look, it is what it is. No one said this should be easy, but I don't know that it needs to be this hard. But I, you know, I, I am very aware at a very granular level what we spend money on, and I would say that tuition assistance probably accounts for maybe 15% of our overall budget every year, and 70% of our budget goes to, to pay um, the best faculty 
that we can hire to teach our boys. So, you know, between that and that, it, it really, it covers, you know, it, it covers the, 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 the cost of a Jewish education. And the two most important areas in a school, frankly. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, we have a commitment that um, almost all of our faculty are full-time faculty. I know many of our listeners who went through Yeshiva Day School, um, I certainly remember um, our, you know, science and math teachers would swoop into the building at 4 o'clock after a full day of teaching in public school. Right. Um, and this, you know, the, the few thousand dollars they would make in yeshiva would be, you know, a great supplement to their public school salary. On the other hand, if I had a math question during lunch, there was nowhere for me to go. You know, here, um, you know, we're in a situation where, look, some people have math and science first thing in the morning and Gemara last thing in the day, right. which is certainly not the way that um you know that we went through school generally and it's it's a really a commitment that um that our teachers are there all day both our bam and our general studies faculty are really in the building all day involved in every aspect of the school and the and the and the well-rounded education we try to give to our students i mean one of the bigger themes that we're going to hit on on monday night is you really can be anything that you can be it really is unbelievable we have harvard educated doctors and harvard educated lawyers and accountants and business people and Rabbeim and community Rabbeim and, and our own teachers who are graduates of TABC. And um, it really is such an amazing, an amazing place to, to be at this time as Jewish education gets to be more modernized and, you know, we're the, among the most heavily recruited yeshivos. I, I, you know, I was in the building over the last few weeks, and all the Rabbeim from all the yeshivos in Israel, I mean, Rav Isaacson from Mevaseret, literally spends three days, three full days in the school interviewing kids. So um, it really is just such an amazing, an amazing place. And we want to make it as affordable and accessible to everybody we think that we can help. You don't have to sell me on TABC. You know, I have three proud graduates, and Stacy and I are proud to be uh, the parents of those three graduates. They had an amazing experience there, and I know that you and your co-president and everybody who has uh, uh, been at the helm during the big uh, transitions um, at TABC have uh, have made sure that that amazing level of education and the amazing level of uh, service to the students and their families continues. So on Monday night, the TABC experience will be the target of the celebration at the 35th annual dinner beginning at 7.30 p.m. at Congregation Keter Torah in Teaneck, New Jersey. You're encouraged to uh, donate and be part of this. As Mark described earlier in this conversation, literally, as you support this dinner, you are helping to support young men and their families financially as they go through this difficult process of um, of paying for Yeshiva High School. But once you've made this commitment and once you've helped out, one thing TABC has guaranteed, they're going to get a great education and an amazing high school experience. And trust me, it makes a tremendous difference in our community uh, when our students uh, obtain those two things. TABC has awarded $1.3 million in scholarship assistance just in the last year, you're encouraged to go to tabc.org slash dinner, tabc.org slash dinner. My uh, children, likely, if they were here, would encourage all alumni to get involved, even at a uh, smaller level than, than traditional donation levels. Get involved and start uh, being uh, as uh, full of pride as you could be um, uh, about the school that you went to and the experience you had at TABC. Again, it's tabc.org slash dinner. Uh, Mark Zamek, have you prepared your speech for Monday night? I have, indeed. It's actually the first time I think I'm speaking at a TABC dinner. Have you timed um, it? Have you timed it out? 
Um, it is nowhere near the, uh, the, the speech that I gave at the Young Israel peanut dinner a number of years ago. Um, as I said then, I would never let an honorary speak that long. Correct. Um, um, I think it's clocking in right now. It's somewhere between five and six minutes. Nice. Um, but one of the, the, the key points that you just mentioned um, is we would love everybody to participate in the dinner, no matter what they can. Like you said, alumni or anybody Certainly people in the Bergen County community, certain people in Highland Park and Edison, where you have a great contingent who, when you think about it, their kids are traveling an hour each way to go to TABC. Um, they don't realize how much they are touched by TABC. And like I mentioned on Monday, just like the Machsa Shekel was required a little bit by everybody, right. we would love 100% participation from everybody connected to TABC, whether it's $18 or $180 or $18,000, whatever they can give. It really is a tremendous season to everybody. That just that, like we say when we when we uh, raise money for uh, for NSN, right? It's, yep. It's it, it, it just that just the fact that you're you're making the effort to donate is a tremendous season to all. No matter what it, you know, no matter what it is, and it takes you know a minute. Go on the website, stick in your credit card. And it's done. Mark, our best regards to everybody there at TABC, uh, Rabbi Ablock, Rabbi Adler, everybody. And uh, and good luck Monday night. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing get-together, a wonderful celebration of the TABC experience. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Mark Zamek, co-president at TABC, proudly somebody who has been at my side in this amazing radio venture for three and a half decades, believe it or not. Thursday morning, and the information at tabc.org slash dinner, tabc.org slash dinner. Thursday morning broadcast, this is JM in the AM.
זה השיר שלך, בתי האהובה. זה היום שלך, הגיעה השעה. הוא עומד, ניצב, מוכן שם לקראתך. בואי, 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 קלה. בואי, 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 קלה. זה השיר שלה, בתי האהובה. זה הקול שלה, הגיעה השעה.
Thursday morning broadcast. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Uh, you heard Machar. That was Mordechai Shapiro. Before that, Ohad had Tefillah Ta'av. Gershon Veroba in there with Ani Israel. I should have mentioned when the Mark Zamek was on that he hosts the um, 
the uh, Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show beginning at 7 p.m. tonight right here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Again, that's 7 p.m. tonight Eastern Time. Thanks to our friends at Kedem. Arab Shabbos show has uh, proven to be a big hit with big ratings and for good reason. Mark puts together an amazing musical presentation each and every week, fresh and new. And it airs at 7 p.m. at a time when a lot of people like to start preparing for Shabbos or continue their preparations for Shabbos on a Thursday night. So tune in tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You'll be glad you did. Rabbi Joseph Karasik is with us live via telephone. He is author of the book, 13 Steps, Orthodox Judaism in America Comes of Age, My Life and Times. Give me, give me a moment, folks, before I, I welcome Rabbi Karasik to the air <clears throat> to read his bio, which is fascinating in and of itself. Rabbi Joseph Karasik was born in Minsk in 1922, came to America the following year, with his family who settled in San Francisco with his grandfather, Rabbi Gershon Katzman. After receiving his primary education in California and Seattle, he crossed the country to attend Yeshiva University, serving as editor of YU's commentator during his undergraduate years and graduating from Yeshiva College in 1943. Continued to Reitz, where he studied with Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, receiving rabbinic ordination in 1945. Rabbi Karasik assumed the pulpit of Sheirat Israel, the Spanish-Portuguese synagogue of Montreal, Canada. Shortly after, he left the position to go into business. A longtime Orthodox Union board member and leader in the Orthodox community, Rabbi Karasik served as president of the OU 1966 to 1972 and chairman of its board from 72 to 78. Rabbi Karasik was the recipient of the Lifetime Leadership Award at the 108th OU National Dinner in 2006, and the OU Department of Synagogue Services was named the Peppa and Rabbi Joseph Karasik Department of Synagogue Services. The book is called 13 Steps, Orthodox Judaism in America Comes of Age, My Life and Times. Rabbi Joseph Karasik, welcome to JM in the Air. Thank you very much. A pleasure to have you on the air, and I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Took me back to uh, took me back to an era that I recall as a youth, and... Uh, I'm going to try my best to convey and to uh, review all of this for our readers to the point where I hope they pick up the book and learn a lot about modern Jewish history. Let me start with this, Rabbi Karasik. You you had this unique experience of leading the um, of being in a leadership position in the Jewish world, both as a rabbi and as a lay leader. Which one has a more direct and positive effect on the Jewish community? One that couldn't be one without the other. If I had remained a uh, pulpit rabbi, as we call it, I never would have uh, crossed the boundaries into the bigger Jewish world. On the other hand, if I didn't have my rabbinic uh, training, my rabbinic background, and I went into uh, into the communal world, I would have missed a lot. It's very interesting. The OU is a uh, lay organization. Right. And when I became president, I was still uh, keeping my title, Rabbi Joseph Karasik. And uh, my first act was to sit down with my officers and said, uh, guys, uh, do you, what do you want me to do? Do you, want, uh, do you want me to be Mr. Joseph Karasik or Rabbi Joseph Karasik? So I would be the first a religious, quote, a leader of the OU. And they all said, very interesting, they all said, we want you to maintain 
the title rabbi, because if you have that title, you could speak to other rabbis. You could speak to rabbis who are much uh, higher than you, much more important than you, mm. and speak on a certain level playing field. And I found that to be true. You could speak with rabbinic authority. I spoke with, with the authority of the president of the OU, who had been a rabbi and who knew the business pretty well. And wherever I went, and, I, and as, as my book would show, I met practically all the gdolim, from Reb Shach, Reb Moshe, and so on and so on, and they all gave me a little more covered because of my title. Right, understood. All right, Joseph Karasik is with us. Um, one of the things that that I, I, I've always, I've always, I, I was always told growing up. Let's put it that way. Uh, that one of the roles that a rabbi, a synagogue rabbi, had in the era when you served as rabbi, today would be covered by different organizations. For instance, if there was uh, an issue with a uh, another um, uh, another religious group in town of a, of another faith, or if there was uh, an issue with the medical examiner, and uh, you know there were there were uh, autopsies that were being encouraged that had to be discouraged. By the rabbinate today, we have organizations and organized efforts that take care of these things. But in those days, it was the rabbi, uh, the rabbi of the community, based on their personal relationships with people in the community in different positions, who would have to step in and take care of these matters. Would that be a a good distinction between being a pulpit rabbi then and today? Sir, I, that's a very very good point that you raise. The rabbi in those days, and, and yeah, I'm talking, <laughs> talking that they were talking about 1965, 66, 70s, and so on. The rabbi had a completely different role. He was the father of the community. Everybody turned to him, and he had that built-in authority which today I'm afraid the rabbis, the younger rabbis today are, uh, quote, Harvard type. They're more career-minded. Uh, it's a business like any other business, except it's in the rabbinate. In those days, there was much more warmth and uh, uh, problem-solving. People were coming with all, all sorts of problems, and we had to be ready to do that. Now, in fact, in my particular case, it was a, a, a little difficult because I was became rabbi when I was 24 years old of the Spanish and Portuguese. And how much experience in life did I have? Never did I have. Nevertheless, people came to me. They listened to what I had to say. And we kept on going. That is a big, big difference. What about education in the shul? You know, today, a rabbi can be in, in almost every major Jewish community and be surrounded by congregants who are really well-educated. Did you feel the responsibility that essentially whatever it was that you discussed from the pulpit or in your shiurim in the shul was really the extent of the Jewish education of the, of the majority of your congregants? Unfortunately... When I became president in 66, we had uh, the younger generation, uh, I, I, what today I think you would call them the millennial and so on, 
don't forget most of them came out of the army right and when they kids they had no they and they had no day school to go to before right. they were in the army for four or five six years they came out they knew practically nothing and uh, i i had that situation where i was dealing with people who knew very very little about our faith and about the about what we believed believed in and so on and it was difficult it was difficult to explain these concepts to them today uh, uh you have guys in the in the uh, congregation who uh, have gone to yeshiva uh, have have learned very much and who know more than the rabbis do right it wasn't in my case right rabbi joseph karasik is with us uh, I mentioned in the uh, in the intro that uh, you spend your your youth in uh, San Francisco and Seattle. Uh, were there other Jews? How were you educated Jewishly in that era? Very good question. In San Francisco, where my grandfather was robbed for almost forty years, the situation was very difficult. San Francisco was a was a uh, strong central point for reformed Jewry. You had Jews who came there for the gold rush, and they began to establish themselves in banking, in, in, uh, in trade, and so on. And they controlled everything that happened in San Francisco, except for one thing. They had tolerance. They had tolerance with my grandfather when he came for various problems on kosherists and so on. They listened to him. And in fact, I don't know if I mentioned in my book or not, in fact, they gave me a scholarship to YU. Now, why? Because they were so proud of a young man who was going into the rabbinate that they said, listen, we're going to take care of this. So that's one hand. On the other hand, there was a youth that knew a lot. We had an excellent Talmud Torah, but a youth that did not practice at all, did not practice kashas, did not practice Shemir Shabbos. And I was part of that youth. And my grandfather and my parents were panicky. What are we going to do with this guy? And then the Rabbi Wogelanter, the Rabbi of Seattle, was visiting my grandfather on a question of on Shilas and so on. And he sees me sitting there and says to my grandfather, who is this young man? is my grandson. What is he doing? My grandfather had trouble trying to tell him that I was really not doing that much, <laughs> and there wasn't much that I could do. <laughs> so Rabbi Bokalanter said, send him up to me to, to Seattle. In Seattle, they had started, uh, started a uh, somewhat uh, yeshiva or a group that met. We all went to public high schools. Uh, that after after school we would come and sit and learn for a couple hours, and it was the beginning of the yeshiva atmosphere, and that's really what saved me. And I also want to, if I could have the time, that I was 14 years old when I left San Francisco. And you tell you, let's look at your son, who is 14 years old today, and look at him and send him out into the world on his own. I mean, it's ludicrous. And I went out, and I was in big danger. Imagine sending a kid out at 14 and then going to six years in yeshiva on my own. My parents were 3,000 miles away from me. 
And I could have, there were so many pitfalls on the way. And Baruch Hashem, I had Siyata Dishmaya. Unbelievable. Rabbi Joseph Karasik with us. What year did you get to Yeshiva University? Got there in 19, what is it? 1939. Uh, I don't know if you've been there recently. What could you tell today's students about what it was like back then? I have been invited to YU to speak to the Smicha students because I had experience both as a pulpit rabbi and in the business world. And I found the boys very, very smart, very intelligent, and been looking in the rabbinate, as I said before, as he were looking and going to work for uh, uh, for the, the Bank of America, They're very, very, <laughs> very, very uh, cool about it, and they were pumping me and pumping me. What about this? What about that? What about this situation and that situation? And they take their careers very, very seriously. Aside from his brilliant uh, academician. Uh uh, reputation and his brilliant um, uh, career as a Talmudic lecturer. What else can you tell us about Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik? Well, my case was was a individual case. When I entered the Rav Shear, my grandfather, who was not a young man, hopped on the train from San Francisco to New York. It wasn't much. Three days and four nights. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> to come to New York, introduce himself to the Rav, and told him, my grandson is going to your shear. Please watch him. Keep, I say, Varfanag of him. Watch him. See what he does. Kilanar Hazei This is what he told the Rav. Wow. And the Rav was so touched that he promised my grandfather that he would do that. And for the next 40 years, the Rav was my teacher, my mentor, my whatever you wanted. And what greater covet and what greater pleasure could a young man have than being so close to the Rav? And that's why I say, beyond the academics and his brilliance uh, of a reputation as a lecturer, many don't realize uh, how, how he had the ability to become close to a student and how students would gravitate toward him and really hang on his every word. Yet, yet it's strange. I, I don't know. I knew the Rav quite well. I don't know if his entire career he was actually close to more than five or six students. Wow. And uh, he was by nature shy. You know, and he, was, he, did, he didn't want to, to make it too difficult, for, especially for his students. And uh, in my book, I, uh, I publish... The uh, Russia that he gave at my at my grandson's pidyon Ben. Yep, I read that. Yep, describing the relationship among the generations, right. and when he would come into his shear in the morning from Boston, all tired out, and looking at these eighty, ninety, a hundred kids, looking up at him all with fresh faces, and he was so tired that after he gave his shear, we as he quotes so beautifully. Rabbi Akiva walks in, and Rabbi Chaim walks in, right. and, and the Rambam walks in, right. <laughs> and he sees a change that these guys, that the students, are, are all tired, and he's fresh as could be. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. You also, by the way, I mean, there's so much to talk about, we're not going to get to everything, but 
I, I have to mention you have an amazing piece in the back of the book <clears throat> where you you print what you had written at that time in 1967, your impressions in the immediate aftermath of the Six-Day War. I'd like your permission for me to uh, to record that in a spoken word format. Uh, so that we have it for posterity. I think it is one. Of, I think that letter is an absolutely brilliant essay. And for those of us who grew up with parents who never stopped speaking about Jerusalem pre and post Six Day War, it is so meaningful. With all, with pleasure, with pleasure. Really amazing, and I, that's one of the reasons I recommend this book. Um, and one of the problems with a book that I really like is I read it too early, and some of the things, some of the things I read, I've already, uh, I, I may have uh, forgotten. Uh, am I right or wrong that you mentioned that uh, you spent time in Baltimore? The first summer that I was in the yeshiva, Rav Gifter, who is, later became the Rosh Yeshiva, tells had just come from uh, Europe. And uh, he that summer he wanted to have a chabura of uh, young uh, students, and he came from Baltimore, uh, and uh, he came to the yeshiva to ask for volunteers. I was one of those who volunteered to come to Baltimore, and and, Rob, and, and also with Rob Gifter I became very very close. Uh, as a Talmud Chover. And, and that was a, a Nair Yisrael experience? Or nothing oh, to, no, no, Nothing no, to do no, with no. the yeshiva. Nothing to do with it the yeshiva. It was Rabbi Gifter's right. uh, personal thing. And uh, if, you, if you really want to know, that's when I first got the Tom of how to learn. We learned the Dorim. Mm. And the first time I got a Tom of, of how really to learn a piece of Gomorrah. And uh, all throughout all the years... I developed very good friendships in Baltimore and so on. Yeah, I, w- I was asking for a selfish reason, because during that era, my grandfather, Harav Yosef Segal, was uh, the mashkiach in uh, Ner Yisrael, and I was wondering, uh, uh. Was wondering if that... Uh, uh, if, if, this was a purely, uh, right. purely Rabbi Gifter's uh, effort. Now, lay leadership in the late 60s, early 70s, and that's, uh, I think you would consider to be your most active era, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I said to you off the air, I'm somewhat familiar with it because that was uh, that was the period of time my father was the president of the RCA. I don't think people today realize the history that people like yourself helped guide because the time of the Six-Day War was so critical, so crucial, especially in terms of support, both financial and otherwise, from the, <clears throat> excuse me, from the American Jewish community. Could you give us a taste of what it was like to be in a leadership role when Washington and Jerusalem were making major decisions, frankly, about the future of the Jewish people? I became president of the OU in 66. The Six-Day War was in 67. The change in the Jewish world from 66 before the war to 67 after the war they're really very, very difficult to describe it. Before the war, the Jewish community here, when I first was a sleepy, sleepy community, you didn't have the the Balabatan, as I said before, they didn't have the education. Suddenly the Six-Day War was an injection into the Jewish community that's impossible to describe. Suddenly, I was there, and I felt the change, and I had the good fortune of following up those, the following years of my presidency in a completely different world. That's when I 
had the big fight with the with the Russia Shivas and the others about uh, I or I wanted the OU to become a world organization to unite to unite the activities of the OU with Orthodox communities throughout the world and the yeshiva world misinterpreted they 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 confused the whole concept of Hechot Shlomo which which was a a parochial battle which had nothing to do with what I had in mind. And uh, as my uh, children ask me very often, Daddy, how could you stand up in front of the Rosh Hashivas and, and to disregard them? And my answer was, I knew what, what, what I wanted. And they had, and the stories that were given them were false stories, with the end being that Rebosha is the Chronicle of Racha. Uh, who was one of my strongest opponents, ended up being my very, very closest friend. Once he understood what I had in mind, and at that particular time, we united Jewish communities of all over the world. And the Baruch Hashem, it was successful. It's a total different world. Well, also, you, you, you led during an era when, uh, when it was possible for people to believe that a rabbinic leader might be wrong. Uh, today, unfortunately, that's not the case, where we live in an era where there's this impression of infallibility among leadership, uh, something something that Moses himself, frankly, did not enjoy. Uh, but <laughs> I want to tell you, never, to my knowledge, never, 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 not even for one moment did I do anything to disparage of the leadership not. of the of, of the Gdolim, like Reb Moshe, Reb Yankov, Kamenetsky, uh, the, the, and the Rebarn Cutler and the whole group, never, never did I say anything to disparage them. I would never suggest that, God forbid. All I'm saying is, as you just indicated, that there were times where it seemed likely that they were misinformed about different things. They were, they were there misinformed, you go. Right. And, and if I had time, I'd tell you the story, but I go buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, people should buy the book, and I'm encouraging it, and you should know something. I'm encouraging the, the, the next generation of seagulls to get the book, because so much of what we experienced, again, as I said, um, uh, through my father's uh, career, um, you bring to life. He never wrote a book, and for us this is so important because you bring so much of that to life, especially as you describe the era of the Six-Day War, as you describe your relationship with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. You know, real influential Jewish leaders of that time spent time with the Lubavitcher Rebbe because he realized how it, how important an investment it was to spend that time with influential and responsible Jewish leaders, and I'm sure you wear that with pride. Yeah, and I want to tell you that your father, Oliver Shalom, uh, and I were very, very friendly opponents. And I told you before we had a we had a. Uh, well, no, no, no! I have to watch my words. <laughs> oh, we did. <laughs> we we were worthy opponents of one another. You bet. I'm probably one of the only guys around today who still remembers him, tall, handsome guy, who who was the boss of Newark, New Jersey, right? No question about that. And uh, you know, for for me, being in being in the second half of this generation, I don't remember the golden era like my older siblings do. So it's important for me to hear these words from you. So I greatly appreciate that. Okay. Uh, the book is called 13 Steps, Orthodox Judaism in America Comes of Age. My Life and Times are by Joseph Karasik. 
I'm sure people are curious why it's called 13 Steps. That's actually something that has to do with this era, right? That's a development, a very recent development for you, the 13 right, Steps. Right, right. And people could read about that in your introduction and uh, and find why you went ahead and named it that. And um, the relationship with your wife is 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 wonderful and so heartwarming. How critical is it? Uh, what would you say to the young rabbis of the of today about taking advantage of their wife's dedication and their interest in what they're doing? How important is it to have a partner who understands how how urgently important it is uh, to be part of the entire process? I want to tell you the by my my wife and I we were married for sixty four and a half years, and she was my companion. But today, the Rebbitson has a much, much bigger role because, first of all, the Rebbitsons are all very well educated. They went to Stern College, Beis Yaakov, and so on. And the demands upon them, we know we're in the midst of this big problem, what to do with the women in our communities, in our societies, in our synagogues. And today, the... the uh, the uh, wife that a young rabbi chooses has to be very, very careful. She has to be a smart girl. She has to have a wonderful education, and she has to stand with him side by side. I said I had a lovely wife, beautiful, great to go with her all over, but the demands on her were not nearly what the, what the demands on a young rabbi are today. Right. Wow. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, the uh, two of the big issues that have been covered uh, in the uh, Yeshiva University commentator in the last few days, in the last few days now in 2018, one is the um, uh, revelation by a new student at Yeshiva University about the uh, unfortunate lack of religious Zionism, at least through his eyes, on campus. And another one was um, a woman who uh, who was lamenting that, uh, that there were opponents to her giving a Dvar Torah in shul. So we can call it, I guess, Israel issues and women's issues. When you were editor of the commentator, and I think that goes back, would you say about uh, 70 years or so? In 19, 19, uh, let's see, uh, 60s. When, when did I graduate? 1943. Oh, so I'm right. It's a, it's almost that that number of years. Were, were those were those among the major issues that college students were writing about and publishing? No, no, there was no. The issues I had a very peculiar issue. It was during the wartime. I when I when I went to YU and when I was editor of Kami, and my main message was to the yeshiva boys, behave like yeshiva boys. The whole world, they were drafting them right and left from all the schools and colleges all over America. You are the lucky ones. You have to behave like yeshiva students, and when they see you on the street, they should know that this is a special young man. And that was my message that I tried to drive home, and I think I was successful. Also, in... Uh, I was, I think, among the very first of all the journalists, incidentally, by paper, under my editorship, received the award of the, uh, first of all, I was who's who on American colleges and campuses, and also the commie got an award as one of the best college newspapers wow. at that particular time. But I, then I, I published 
the Holocaust issue. And this was in, uh, I've got all my dates here. Anyhow, uh, when I was a... Uh, would, that be, would that be in the commentator archives? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's, it's, uh, the whole edition is there to get it. It's, it's available. I've seen it. Uh, and uh, many of them have it on their computers. The issue where I, where I began to disclose, don't forget, this was in... Uh, the 1940s, yeah. 1942, 41, right. 42, when the world, had, the Jewish world, had no concept of all, uh, at all about the, about the Holocaust. Right. Suddenly the news began to come out, and I published a whole issue on this, and at that time it caused a considerable stir because people really, for the first time, began to know what, what a Holocaust is. They had no idea beforehand what it was. Rabbi Karasik, what an honor for me to have you on. I, I know how important this book is. I just want you to know that. I know how important this book is, and I hope uh, everybody out there gets it. It's called 13 Steps, Orthodox Judaism in America Comes of Age, My Life and Times, by Joseph Karasik, an OU press release. It's an OU press release. Rabbi Karasik, would you know if this is available at the YU Sepharim sale? I was there. They, they, had, a, they had a special room for me there. At the sale, in fact, uh, Herschel Schechter and Mordechai Willig and others were there at that time, and uh, we did a very, very nice business That's at, great. The, at this forum sale. That's great. I hope everybody out there picks it up. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me this morning, and the Hatzlach with the book and everything, and best regards to the entire family. Thank you, Zev. Thank you very, very much. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> Another reference to my father, not a problem at all. And thank you so much. Rabbi Joseph Karasik on a very special Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M. attack of Shweki. Thursday morning broadcast. Malcolm Honline live from Jerusalem tomorrow. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's in Jerusalem. He'll be live with us. The only adjustment we're going to make tomorrow is that it seems he will not be able to join us at 740, but closer to 750 755 in that in that area so we'll remind you tomorrow morning as we get closer to that conversation plenty to talk about obviously we'll have him on tomorrow malcolm homeline from jerusalem we call it the weekly update here at jm in the am well we're going to test the uh, coach of uh, yeshiva university's maccabees who play the uh, farmingdale team tonight uh in the skyline conference semifinals uh, after their amazing victory on uh, tuesday evening at the max stern athletic center in front of thousands it was just amazing uh, and when I mean we're going to quiz the uh, or test the coach 
We're going to see if he was paying attention to anything other than the actual play on the court on Tuesday night. Coach Elliot Steinmetz, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate it. You ready for this? Here we go. Let me know. Let me know if you can identify what this is. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Not really. Is that the base medrash at YU? <laughs> that was that was the Max Stern Athletic Center that turned into a massive Purim Chagiga or Adar Chagiga with the words Mishanichnas Adar smack in the middle of your big game on Tuesday night. What was that like? Yeah, that that, that had to be one of the coolest experiences uh, <laughs> I've, I've ever had. Certainly, certainly in a basketball game, it was. Uh, it was awesome, and you know, it's uh, actually um, they mic'd me up for the game, which was an interesting experience. Wow! So I had a mic on me the entire time, and I was listening back to a little bit of it last night, uh, specifically during that part. And it was just cool to hear kind of the reactions from you know myself, and then the, you know, the assistant coaches and some of the guys on the bench to, to what was going on. It was just just really awesome. Wow! When do we get to hear some of that, or are they are they not going to let the public hear any of that? Yeah, I don't I don't know that we're going to put that out. None of, <laughs> none of it. And I could probably send you a couple of clips. And I'll tell you why I'm asking this selfishly. You've noticed, I'm sure, during this season that my son and I tend to sit behind the Yeshiva University bench for one reason, because we are fascinated by your uh, huddles with the team. And and what's on, and what's always frustrating is the music is so loud in the gym that it's impossible to hear what you're saying to the players. You may prefer that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Probably do, but uh, I, I'll certainly I could certainly ask if they're willing to release any of it to you. All right, I appreciate that. Always interesting. I mean, it's all about adjustments. We got to talk about Tuesday night for a moment. The whole Jewish world knows that you guys were down by 17 points, and in relatively quick uh, fashion. Uh, you got right back into the game. What was the adjustment? Was there anything major that you inspired the team with during that stretch? You know, it's, it's funny. I got a lot of text messages and a lot of emails after the game and a lot of people, you know, telling me what great adjustments we made in the second half. We didn't really make that many adjustments. I think it was kind of just, uh, you know, a situation where we, we're, we're basically starting five sophomores. We're playing against most teams that have, uh, you know, a significant amount of seniors. We came out and, you know, there's 2,000 people screaming and yelling. And I think our guys were just a little bit nervous to start out. Uh, and they just kind of needed to calm down and, and, you know, get through that first half and, and kind of be in it. Uh, and it was really just a, a situation where we wanted to calm them down at halftime and just give them one or two things to focus on on the defensive side and one or two things to focus on on the offensive side. Well, the big transition, though, happened, you know, way before halftime. Well, and you don't have to name any names, but was there a specific player or two that, that sort of stopped the team in addition to the coaching staff and said, guys, you know, we got we to start really focusing on what we've been doing for the last few months? There really is. I think we kind of stayed the course, and we had a couple of guys who just kind of, you know, got going a little earlier. I think one of the big things that happened, obviously, was you know, we, 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 you know, Justin Hode, who who has not played a ton right. over the last few weeks, kind of came in, and you know, that's a kid who I, you know, I always think has guts and and just, you know, went in and and didn't care what was going on around him and just was ready for the moment and really, you know, turned the game around. I mean, that that, that is if 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 Gabriel Siegel and I, who've been to a few games this year, would analyze your success for some reason 
when 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 no one expects it, you choose a guy off the bench who comes in, and not just Tuesday night, but other games as well, who comes in and starts lighting the place on fire. And and for, and frankly, nothing against Justin, but as you said, he hasn't played much. So to us, it was such a shock that he's being turned to to turn everybody on. And look what happened. He hit four three-pointers. Right. So we, I mean, we had it earlier in the season. I think it was with Joachim Deutsch. We've had it a couple right. of times with different guys over the right. course of the years. You know, to me, I tell the guys before every season, I, I have 15 college basketball players. You know, the fact that, that eight or nine of them are going to play regularly and a couple of them aren't doesn't necessarily mean anybody's you know, not ready or anybody's not, you know, deserving of being on the court. There's always a moment that's going to come for each guy. And as long as they're ready, you know, it's, uh, it, they're going to be able to produce on the court. And, and I'm lucky. I coach the greatest kids in the world. These kids are smart. They're committed. They're, you know, they're, in, they're into it. And they're all ready. They're, they're all prepared. There's no complaining. It's just, it's just an awesome, awesome feeling to be around them. Unbelievable. Uh, Elliot Steinmetz is with us, coach of the YU Max tonight. 7 p.m. I know a lot of people are frustrated with the starting time, but 7 o'clock, everybody, do your best to be in Farmingdale. 7 o'clock tonight, Skyline Conference semifinals. We will not discuss what could happen if they win tonight because we're taking this one game at a time, as I'm sure is the preference of Coach Steinmetz. We are not going to look down the road, but we can say one thing. With a victory tonight, you will have done something that Yeshiva University has never done before, correct? I believe that's the case. Yeah, okay. I don't think they've ever been in the championship game. So there we go. So uh, everybody who could be there tonight. Now, I, I, I really shouldn't focus on individual names, but you, we've already brought up Justin. Give me a second on this. You, you, I mean, there's certain things I've discussed with you over the years that, that fascinate me. And one of the things that we have seen is, again, to the, to the layman, you, know, you may say to me that this was not the case last year. You take a kid like Tyler Hode, who last year – you know, did not spend a lot of time on the court, and did, and frankly, you know, was not that impressive a player, certainly compared to what he is now. And now, not only is he an impressive player, he's a starter who's who, who's an obvious leader on the court that his teammates are always turning to. How does someone develop in those few months from one to the other? That one, I will tell you, you're going to have to ask their parents because <laughs> I, I've had three of them now, the Hodes, and I will tell you every single one of those kids is going to be successful at whatever they do in life. Wow. They're all winners, and they clearly get it from how they've been brought up. It's just I've always, they've always come in, and I've always kind of like, to my, to my fault, you know, a little bit doubted their, their ability on the court, and every single one of them proves me wrong every single year. Those kids work hard. They have great attitudes, and they are absolute winners. So Tyler's no different. He, you know, was buried on the bench last year, even beginning of this year a little bit, and kind of right. got an opportunity earlier in the year with some injuries, and he made the most of it. Exactly. Made the most of it. That, that really it tells the whole story. Um, everyone's curious uh, what you have to say about Gabe Leifer. You guys, I believe, are 9-2, and two, if that's accurate, since he started with you guys at the end of January. Uh, we are all extremely impressed by his abilities. I think we could say that the reputation preceded him and he's lived up to it. What could you tell us from your vantage point about the way he's playing? I think it's ten and two, just to be. Ten, you know. Sorry about that. Ten That's and okay. two, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he's great, and he and and more more than more than being a good ball player, and he and he's got a long way to go. He's he's going to continue to get better, which is great. He's a great kid, and he and he kind of you know came into a situation where you know people seem to not always realize we, we have the two leading scorers in the conference in Simcha Halpert and Baraluf. So he came into a situation where he was really able to kind of like find his way early without without a ton of pressure, and and he's made the most of it for sure. And and the ability and the talent is is off the charts. 
So what, what, it, what it turns into is it, it, it ends up turning us into a kind of a three-headed monster because he kind of developed very, very quickly into you know, scoring and then rebounding and defensive threat for us, mm-hmm. and now teams have no longer just two players to worry about. they got three. Uh, anybody who follows basketball knows the expression big three and how important it is, and sure enough, that's, that's what you're enjoying now, and it's pretty uh, remarkable and amazing. And and I was concerned, and I said this to you off the air, I was concerned what it's going to be for you to incorporate someone who has not been there all season and is sur- somehow just you know walking on, and of course you started him in the first game that he was available. Did it cause any problem with the other teammates? It didn't, uh, and and again, every you know I keep saying everybody kind of has their role. Donnie Katz, great leader, great teammate, right. and that's a kid who kind of just gets everybody to you know follow whatever the best path is for winning, both on the court and off. And he recognized it quickly. He kind of really brought Gabe under you know under his arm a little bit, and uh, and really was never we really I don't even I don't even remember hearing one complaint or, or one whisper about it. Unbelievable. Uh, and now to the best part, frankly. And one of the reasons I enjoy going with my family, and I had four family members at the game Tuesday night uh, while I was landing from Los Angeles, and one of the reasons we love it is because whenever we approach the coaches and the players after a win or a loss, all they do is smile and thank us for being there. And it is such an amazing feeling that these guys realize how important these games are to us and how important and we realize how important our being there is to them. And it's just a wonderful feeling. On top of that, I'm going to repeat something I said last week. And that is that I believe, again, I believe, I hope I'm not naive, I believe that your guys get that they are not just representing Yeshiva University, they are representing the Jewish people on that court, and it seems from their behavior and the way they go about their business that this is one of the things that's on their mind each and every time. Yeah, they get it. There's no doubt they get it. They're, they're, they're a great bunch, and you know, they, they talk about it all the time. And you know, one of the things they talk about you know, in the locker room, even before games very often, is is you know representing Jews and Jewish basketball and 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 that kind of pride they have in being a part of what Yeshiva you know what Yeshiva University is about and what it represents uh, and it's an important thing and it's you know again it's it's a it's a testament and a credit to them and the way they've been brought up and and, and the environment they're in at Yeshiva where they you know where they have that and they have that uh, understanding. It is amazing and gives us tremendous pride. Uh, you, you know how hard we are rooting for you guys for tonight. You know it. And uh, and it just uh, it's it's just an unbelievable feeling to be here at this point. I can only imagine what it's like for you and the players. And we wish you the best of luck. And uh, and I know one thing we do know about the, about the 2018 YU Max. They are going to leave it all on the court tonight. They are going to give it their all to bring home a victory. They will, and we're looking forward to seeing what happens. Farmingdale tonight at 7 p.m. Everybody, seven o'clock tonight. Try your hardest to be there. The YU Max will be trying very hard to bring home a victory, one of which we've never enjoyed before, a semifinal victory in the Skyline Conference. Coach Elliot Steinmetz, thank you. Good luck tonight. Thanks so much, Nachum. I appreciate it. There he is, Coach Elliot Steinmetz. He's got the unique situation of being the leader of a YU team, and they've had some great YU teams in the past. Those of you who are familiar know what I mean. They've been some great players. They've been some great teams. Um, he has the uh, the honor of leading this team into Farmingdale tonight. We wish them the best of luck. Twelve minutes before nine o'clock, it is a JM in the AM. What is today? Thursday, <laughs> Thursday morning edition. Reminder: Tomorrow, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, he'll join us from Jerusalem, Israel, tomorrow. Make sure to be tuned in. Reminder, coming up at 9 o'clock, Charlie Harari. 
9.30, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder with Spin Class. 10 o'clock, Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. And speaking of basketball, Miriam L. Wallach at 10.30 speaks with David Goldstein, author of Ali Oop to Ali Ah, African-American Hoopsters in the Holy Land. I'm sure we'll review part of that conversation during our live lunch starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to join us. And don't forget tonight, Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zamek begins at 7 p.m. It is always an amazing presentation. Make sure you're tuned in. More coming up. It's JM in the AM.
This court will please come to order. Mr. Rabinowitz, you are the foreman of the jury. Have you reached a verdict? Judge, Your Honor, we have been listening to the facts in this case for six weeks, and it has been a wonderful experience for us all. We, the jury, would like to thank you for the way you have conducted this case. Thank you, Mr. Rabinowitz. But the verdict, please. Certainly, Your Honor. We, the jury, Mr. Cohen, Mr. Fine, Mr. Landsberg, the lovely Mrs. Belkowitz. Thank you, Mr. Robinowitz. You're welcome. Mr. Robinowitz, the verdict. Coming, Your Honor. Mr. Goldberg, Mr. Katz, Mr. Stein, Mrs. Cantor, Mr. I'm not lovely. The lovely Mrs. Cantor. Lovely. Mr. Rabinowitz. Mr. Finkelstein, Mr. Bloom, and Mr. Pinkus the Furrier. <laughs> Your Honor, the 12 of us have spent the past four days in the jury room debating this case. And we examined the evidence pro and con in backwards and forwards to decide in the American way, did he or didn't he do it? <laughs> Mr. Rabinowitz, the verdict, and now. Immediately, Your Honor. We, the jury, after careful deliberation on this case, have decided we shouldn't make sin. <laughs> J.M. in the A.M. <laughs> One of our Adar comedy segments. Before that, you heard the uh, selection from Pure Soul here at J.M. in the A.M. Thursday morning broadcast. Plenty happening on our network all through the day. Make sure to keep it here at the Nahum Siegel Network. A special hello to everybody at Helen's Hats. Helen's Hats being taken care of by listener Tikva, I believe in Petach Tikva. Uh, so a big hello to everybody at Helen's Hats from all of us here at JM in the AM. And a big thank you to those who are commenting on our app. Uh, the number of comments that we're getting regarding the uh, conversation with Rabbi Krasik are wonderful. And I thank you very much for that. Uh, wrapping things up with Yaakov Shweki. It's a Thursday at JM in the AM. La, 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 inshallah, inshallah, la, 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 inshallah, inshallah, la, 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 inshallah, inshallah.
Achenu Yisrael and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel. We are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com. On the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Thursday here at JM and the AM. My thanks to all of our special guests. Reminder, incredible programming all through the day, including Mark Zomik tonight with the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show. Make sure to be tuned in 7 p.m. Eastern time tonight for that. And, of course, all of our great programming all through this amazing Thursday. Good luck to the Yeshua University Maccabees, 7 o'clock tonight at Farmingdale. Good luck. My thanks to Rabbi Karasik. My thanks to Mark Zomik. Information about the TABC dinner, tabc.org slash dinner, tabc.org slash dinner. Have a fabulous Thursday. Speak to you at 11 a.m. Eastern time during the live launch. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.